Coming up on the Thomas Acosta Show, we'll break down the first six episodes of the ESPN documentary series, The Last Dance. We'll also go ahead and talk about the NFL draft that happened recently and how Mark Davis, the Las Vegas Raiders owner, uh, he proves once again that the apple does not fall far from the tree in regards to first-round draft picks and how the Raiders have handled them uh, over the last few years. All of that plus another rousing rendition of social annoyance. All of that on the Thomas Acosta Show, and it starts now. Mic check. Mic check, one, two, one, two, mic check. All right. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the program. This is the Thomas Acosta Show here on Anchor.fm. We will get to all things uh, Last Dance and NFL Draft here in just one moment. But first, I'm coming to you again from an undisclosed location. I'm out in the middle of nowhere. Now, if you guys remember, uh, I was a uh, I was a security guard over at a university that was shaped like a dentist office. Now they have me here at a private residence. And if you ever pictured of living off the grid, this is exactly where it would be. Now, I know that when it comes to living off the grid, people think of uh, tents and motorhomes and eating cans of tuna that are 20 years old. Uh, But judging by the looks of uh, this property and uh, the infrastructure on it, um, safe to say that I, I, I don't think they're going to be living in tents anytime soon. This seems like a pretty uh, well-to-do uh, sort of setup here, so I won't be uh, crying the uh, crying the blues too loud for them. Uh, but it is a pretty peaceful and serene place that I'm here at right now. I'll be here for the next couple of days, which is great. It'll actually give me time to record and just give you my thoughts on what is going on uh, in the world of sports, which is nothing. And it's been close to two months. We haven't had any live sports here for the last two months. We're going to get to an email here later on in the show, um, discussing how, just how, uh, you people out there have been dealing with the coronavirus pandemic and how, um, you know, the league has been, the the leagues around the world obviously have been shutting down. I know that there's been news of, of proposals being written up by Major League Baseball and, and, and NBA's trying to get back into the mix. I know that the German soccer league, Bundesliga, is scheduled to start, uh, resume, uh, to their season next month. So, uh, pieces are moving, but we're still not quite there yet when it comes to getting live sports on a more consistent basis. So we're going to, we'll, we'll read an email here later on in the show. And we'll go ahead and talk about that uh, and break it down. But uh, what's been on the mind of a lot of people over the last couple of weeks, obviously has been this documentary, this propaganda piece, I like to call it, uh, from Michael Jordan called The Last Dance, which has been broadcasted, uh, broadcasting on ESPN here. Which is no big surprise. I mean, I, I think it's it's common knowledge by now that Michael Jordan and ESPN uh, have somewhat of a, uh, a love affair uh, with each other. I mean, ESPN was a company that gave Michael Jordan the best athlete of the 20th century title uh, in 1999 uh, over athletes such as Muhammad Ali and a player that you may have heard of, Babe Ruth. So obviously there's no question about it. ESPN and Michael Jordan have been have been in bed together and they've been in bed together for the last 30 years. But one of the things going going into this documentary that I thought a lot about 
What are exactly the motives of Michael Jordan releasing this piece? I mean, make no mistake, he has final editorial approval of what we see on the telescope. So he is a guy in Michael Jordan that he wants to control his own narrative. He wants to control the legacy and he wants to remind people just how great he was. And this is his Instagram story. And I, I, I have no I have no problem with that. Uh, but at the same time, you have to go back and, and, and think, why now? Why in the year 2020 do you release this documentary, which has turned into a Michael Jordan uh, retrospective and kind of a, 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 a victory lap for Michael Jordan, if you will, uh, when it comes to discussing his career? What were the motives behind it? I mean, I don't think it's far-fetched to believe that as competitive as Michael Jordan is, as much as he likes to be the alpha dog, and he's doing alpha dog moves, it seems like, on the daily, that this year, 2020, was going to be the first ballot Hall of Fame induction for Kobe Bryant. And Kobe Bryant obviously has been compared to Michael Jordan a lot throughout his career, even back dating back to high school. So did, was it a case of Michael Jordan wanting to outshine and wanting to grab all the attention, knowing that fans around the world would salivate, and rightfully so, would salivate over a 10-part documentary series about an athlete and about an organization and a team that he was a part of that we really haven't gotten in-depth with. I mean, with every argumentative show you see out there, we talk about Michael Jordan and his legacy and how would he do in today's NBA, but we haven't had a really big piece of art, I guess you can call it. We haven't had any sort of expose on Michael Jordan. There's been, of course, little NBA entertainment videos and the like, and but that, that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an in-depth look into his career. And people have salivated over it, and it's been ratings gold. you know. But I, I think as competitive as Michael Jordan is, we can't gloss over, gloss over the, the, the notion that he may have wanted to do this to show that he was the alpha dog and to take a little bit of the shine away from Kobe Bryant being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Now, of course, no one could have foresaw the tragedy that was the Kobe Bryant death. No one saw that coming, obviously. But that still, the fact still remains that I think Jordan did it to, to kind of take a little shine away from Kobe Bryant. Maybe he did it to take a little shine away from LeBron James. Going into the season, the Lakers were favored. They were one of the favorites to win the championship. And this was a documentary that was scheduled to go out in June. It, it, it was scheduled to, to come out right after the NBA Finals. Uh, a Finals which conceivably could have had the Los Angeles Lakers in it. And what would have Michael Jordan would have done? A complete alpha move. While everyone's celebrating LeBron James and his greatness, he throws in that propaganda piece just to remind everyone who the real king is. So I question the motives. I mean, this isn't the 25th anniversary. This isn't even the 20th anniversary of the 98 Bulls, which is what this documentary is supposed to be about. So I don't, I don't, I don't, you, you really have to question the motives of Jordan there. When you think about Jordan as a player, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the greatest basketball player of all time. I don't think there's any question about it. And we want to rom romanticize Jordan's career. And he had a great career. 
I don't think there's any question about it. Of course, he's a top three player of all time. Michael Jordan is in the starting five of all-time greats, no matter who you ask. The greatest of all time? It's kind of hard to argue three championships at UCLA. It's really hard to argue when going into the NBA, he finishes with more MVPs than Jordan, more points than Jordan, and just as many rings. So when you're talking about the greatest player of all time and you want to talk about accomplishments... And people want to point to the rings, the rings. How many rings does Jordan have? How many rings does Jordan have? Well, how many rings does Bill Russell have? He has a, he has 11. And with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, how many rings he has? He has just as many as Jordan. Now, is it our fault that we're too dull and we're too boring and we need something a little bit more exciting? You know, we were, we were, we were drawn to Jordan because of his athleticism, because of the way he can dunk a basketball. What did Kareem do? He did a skyhook. Yes, the most unstoppable shot in sports. But let's face it, it's it's one of the more boring shots in basketball. Yeah, it's graceful and, and we praise it and we give it its due. But when you're talking about putting fans in the seats, Jordan did that. You know, he crossed over from not only being a great athlete, but being a worldwide figure. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, for as much as he was active and as much as he was a social justice warrior and heavily involved in um, uh, political uh, events and gatherings and conversations, he wasn't the international star that Jordan was. But when you're talking about basketball accomplishment, there's no doubt in my mind Kareem is the greatest of all time. And I love the argument. And it's the argument that you hear, as I said, in every argumentative talk show. Can Jordan play in today's NBA? Can the players of today play in the time that Jordan played? There's a couple of questions you have to ask yourself. Number one, what rules are we playing with? If Jordan is coming into today's NBA with today's rules, then yeah, he's averaging 40 points a game. He, he, would, he would make a run at Wilt Chamberlain's 50-point-a-game record for a season. Just because of, really, to be honest with you, the lack of toughness. Uh, the, the game now is catered to the three-point shot, which, I mean, Jordan wasn't the greatest outside shooter that was out there. And when he got later on in his career, he relied more on his mid-range game. He relied more on his post-up moves as opposed to his athletic ability. So it would be interesting to see to see it would be interesting to see him play in today's NBA because everyone is either a three-pointer or a slam dunk. So it would be kind of fun to watch, but when you talk about Jordan's toughness, I mean in 1988 he averaged 37 points a game in a very physical NBA. I mean that's I mean, that's madness. If he can average 37 points a game in a very physical NBA in the, or in, the, in the 80s and 90s, then I'm pretty sure he can push for 50 points a game. The second thing and the second question you have to ask yourself when it comes to whether or not Jordan can play in today's NBA or vice versa is what kind of recovery technology are we dealing with? Now, the time to recover... And to get your body right has vastly improved since Jordan's day. 
you know, it, it, the technology to recover and to get your body ready for any any for any given NBA game has grown tremendously. The technology is off the charts, and it's going to continue to be off the charts. But what are we dealing with? Can you imagine Jordan being the beneficiary of today's modern medicine? And when I mean modern medicine, I'm talking about the things that players do to get ready for an NBA game. You know, and I I think you have to take a look at, you have to take that into consideration. You know, if you take someone like Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving or anybody like that, like a Steph Curry, and you put them in mid-80s NBA and they don't have the technology to recover and get their bodies right for the next game, I mean, that's something that you you would need to take into consideration. And if you think Michael Jordan is going to buy into this load management BS that everyone is trying to push now, you got another thing coming. I mean, it illustrates it in the documentary, and it tells the story about how in Jordan's second year, he got hurt and was going behind the organ, uh, going behind the organization's back to play basketball and get ready, and return that season. And that was the season that he scored 63 points in that playoff game against Boston. Which, by the way, I think needs to be lent some perspective. When Jordan scored those 63 points, he did it in multiple overtimes. And he beat Elgin Baylor's scoring record in the playoffs, which was 61 in an NBA Finals game. But Elgin Baylor did that in regulation. It took Michael Jordan multiple overtimes to get 63 points. And yes, he did it against Garden, or he did it at the Garden. He did it against uh, against Larry Bird. But it still took him a couple extra quarters to get there. It doesn't uh, belittle his accomplishment in any way, but I think uh, there's some perspective that needs to be said and that needs to be presented in that regard. Now, the Olympic team, you know, this is where Jordan became a worldwide phenomenon. I mean, he was already a great basketball player and doing great things here in the States. But when professional athletes and NBA players went to Barcelona in 92, that brought the game global. And along with him and David Stern, they did a fantastic job of taking the NBA brand and making it the global brand that it is today. And it's interesting to think about the Olympic team that Jordan was on. And remember, this is a team that could have gotten better. A lot of people and a lot of experts consider this USA Dream Team the greatest team ever assembled, the greatest collection of basketball talent the world has ever seen. And that's true. But it's crazy to think that this team could actually have gotten better. And when you look at the Isaiah Thomas situation, I think Michael Jordan was still upset at the fact that he got slighted in that uh, Eastern Conference game in 91 when the Bulls took out the Pistons and the Pistons just walked off the court. And with Isaiah Thomas making the justification about how that's how they were treated when they beat the Celtics in 88, it just doesn't fly with me. And judging by Jordan's reaction and how he talks about it, it doesn't fly with him either. And I think it would be naive for us to think that Jordan didn't have anything to do with keeping Isaiah Thomas off that team. We would be a fool to think that he had nothing to do with it. Of course he did. This was prime Michael Jordan at the top of his game, coming off his second straight NBA title, 
the best player in the world. My, Magic Johnson had already retired. Larry Bird was already gone. Michael Jordan was and is the king of the NBA at this time. And to think that he did not have anything to do with Isaiah Thomas not being on the team, I think is a little bit naive. And they opted for John Stockton, which, let's face it, at that time, John Stockton versus bad boy point guard Isaiah Thomas. I mean, Stockton was, you know, the leader in assist for a number of years in a row during that time. But, I, I mean, come on, he at that time he could not, and still, could not hold a candle to Isaiah Thomas. I don't care how many records John Stockton has. The all-time steals leader, all-time assist leader. I, when you compare him to Isaiah Thomas, there's no contest. And when you also think about another uh, uh, another member of the team in Christian Leitner, who was picked over a player like Shaquille O'Neal. Both of them got uh, both of them came out of the draft the same year in 92 with Shaquille O'Neal going number 1 to Orlando and Christian Leitner I think going number 2 or number 3. Uh, I know Alonzo Mourning was in there as well, but Christian Leitner was a top three pick, and he went to Minnesota. And they picked the All-American clean-cut national championship boy in Christian Leitner when Shaquille O'Neal was a far more superior player. So it's, it's crazy to think that the most talented team ever assembled could have improved if they made those two changes. And, you know... The 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 first three-peat, you can make the argument that John Paxson was just as responsible as Jordan was for the two out of the three championships. In game five, in that fourth quarter against the Lakers in 91, which was uh, Jordan's first title, he had a huge fourth quarter. I remember that game very well. John Paxson came up huge in that game five. And, of course, everyone remembers that game six shot that he made against Phoenix in 93 to close out that series. So John Paxson, that first three-peat, was just as responsible as Michael Jordan, I believe, in winning those championships. But when you think about Jordan's legacy, and it, it, it's, it's so funny and kind of surreal at the same time, when I was watching basketball growing up, I would talk to a lot of the older people um, from past generations who were old enough to remember when they saw Michael Jordan, or excuse me, when they saw people like Wilt Chamberlain play or Bill Russell. And I would ask, you know, what, what was Kareem really that dominant at UCLA? And to hear the story and the little anecdotes, um, it was, it, it, it was incredible because I was able to see their career through their eyes, through the people that I was talking to. And as this documentary has been broadcasting over the last couple of weeks, I can't tell you how many different people uh, that I've known people who are younger than me in their early mid twenties, texting me, calling me, sending me, you know, slipping into my DMs, asking me, was it really that much more tougher in the eighties? You know, did Jordan really have it that hard? Was was that the way they played? Hey, what was Magic Johnson like? You know, was Dennis Rodman? Wow, this was Dennis Rodman pre tattoos and pre dyed hair. What was that like? What was witnessing that like? It's just really weird to be on the other end of the conversation, uh, knowing that I've had these similar conversations with people who are older than me. So it's just kind of weird to be, uh, it's, it's kind of surreal to, 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 to have it come full, uh, full circle, to be honest with you. Um, but you know what? It's been a great series. The first six episodes have been outstanding. I thought it was a little classless for, um, excuse me there. 
I thought it was a little classless for 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 Jordan to go after Jerry Krause the way that he did. The guy's been dead for a number of years, and to go to to come out of the gate first episode and just completely trash on Jerry Krause, I thought was unfair because he's been dead. He's not here to defend himself. And you can't rely on archival footage of interviews and, and, and piecing stuff together to try to make it seem like he's making a point. You know, I, I just, I didn't think that was fair to Jerry Krause. Now, in retrospect, did he have somewhat of a Napoleon complex? Yes, he did. And I think it would be kind of fun to see him operate in today's NBA. You know, he is someone who, I mean, in today's generation, in today's era, a lot of the old school players, uh, they don't think too highly of people who study analytics and people who are in the front office and the suit and ties of the front office. You know, but Jerry Krause is someone who obviously was not an athlete, was the butt of every single joke that Jordan threw at him. You know, he got picked on a lot, obviously. And... I, I, I just it would just be kind of interesting to see how Jerry Krause would handle handle himself in today's NBA. So again, I'm intrigued by the first six episodes. I'm going to be intrigued by the last four. I know that uh, from what I'm hearing and what I'm reading, uh, they're going to dive in a little bit more into his gambling, which I know they mentioned in the last episode. And of course, Jordan spun it the way that he always spins everything, and and I, you know what, I understand it. You know, I it's it's something that you have to take with a grain of salt when it comes to how you're um, listening to that information, because again, Jordan has final editorial approval. Everything you see on that television is a hundred percent approved by Jordan. So if you're looking for something scandalous, if you're looking for something that's going to make him look bad. The chances of you finding it are very, very low. But from what I hear, they are going to talk about more about his gambling and his retiring and the circumstances surrounding his retirement. So I'm going to be intrigued uh, to see the rest of the episodes. And if you guys have any thoughts or comments on it, you can go ahead and email me. Uh, the email address is thomasacostashow at gmail.com. That's thomasacostashow at gmail.com. I keep hitting my microphone here, so hopefully when you listen to this uh, podcast, it, it doesn't sound annoying. The only annoying sound you should hear is my voice. Uh, you shouldn't hear any other annoying sounds like me hitting a microphone or burping or anything like that. Okay. As we transition, <laughs> we transition to the NFL draft. The number one pick, Joe Burrow, going to the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, which prompted uh, Andy Dalton uh, to be moved over to the Cowboys. And you know, it 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 is so funny because for the last three months, what we've been hearing is Andy Dalton can't get it done. Andy Dalton's not right for this team. You know, Andy Dalton's past his prime. You know, whatever it is, we need to get him out of here. Joe Burrow is the future. Now that Andy Dalton signs with the Cowboys, he's touted now as the best backup in the league. And now everyone's singing his praises. For the last two, three months, all we heard is how Andy Dalton wasn't getting it done in Cincinnati. It's time for Andy Dalton to move on. I don't think Andy Dalton has it anymore. Now he's the best backup in the league. Based on what? Because he plays for the Cowboys? I mean, what exactly are we talking about here? You know, we don't know exactly what we're going to get from Joe Burrow. He, he Obviously, he had the greatest single season um, of any quarterback in the history of college football. I mean, and the numbers and the stats bear that out. 
But will that translate into the NF in into the National Football League? I mean, we'll we'll see. But it's it's funny to see how everyone's singing Andy Dalton's praises now, now that he's a backup. Now it's like Andy Dalton can do no wrong. It's almost as if people in the media are hoping, and they won't say this out loud, but they're hoping for some sort of quarterback controversy. This is what drives me nuts about people in the media, is that they're trying to make a story out of nothing. Andy Dalton, yes. Is he presumably the best backup quarterback in the league? Absolutely, I think he is. I think Marcus Mariota might have a shot. But Andy Dalton, there's no question the talent is there. You couldn't tell over the last three months by you know by the way that people were talking about him. I mean, they, he. I mean, they were making Andy Dalton out to be like an XFL quarterback when he was anything but. But this is what I hate about the media. They want to make up these storylines, and I know a lot of them are hoping that there is a quarterback controversy in Dallas. The media would love nothing more than to salivate over a quarterback controversy, and the only way to get that controversy is for Dak Prescott to get hurt. I'm not I'm not overtly saying that they're rooting that people in the media are rooting for Dak Prescott to get hurt. But let's just say for what we do, it would be good for business. So, I'm just going to leave it at that. Who knows what Joe Burrow's going to do? It may um you know, spark something under AJ, uh, under AJ Green, their star wide receiver for the Bengals to maybe stay in Cincinnati. We'll see exactly what's going on. Tua Tungavailoa goes to Miami. Now, I went on record as saying that he was going to be <laughs> he was going to be a second or third round draft pick. And here's one thing that someone won't tell you: Hey, I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. I mean, he does throw the best deep ball of anyone in college football, even better than Joe Burrow. But I, again, the injuries. The, the, I mean, he. It's not so much the kind of injuries he's had although they have been severe, including that hip that happened last season. But it's the amount of injuries in the short amount of time that he's been able to stack up since his time in Alabama. He's had numerous injuries all throughout his career. He's someone that really hasn't been that battle-tested. When you look at Tua's stats, you know, it, I mean, it, it seemed like every Saturday he was out there and he didn't play the full game. He would play a half. He would play three quarters. He would have an you know an insane completion percentage. He would go like twenty for twenty five for three hundred yards and four touchdowns, and then sit out the second half. So when it comes to being battle tested, and even though he did have you know a great coming out party in that national championship game against Clemson, I mean Tua, I don't think really has been that battle tested. There hasn't been a big enough sample size for me to see how he handles adversity. So places don't get don't get don't get any more adverse than Miami. And I know Miami's on the upswing and and the entire AFC East may be looking at a makeover with Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay. But uh you know, we'll see how Tua um you know uh, pans out. We'll 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 just see exactly what happens um, now? Chase Young, the the uh, the stud defensive end for the uh, Ohio State Buckeyes, he goes on and gets drafted by the Washington Redskins, which only tells me one thing: that Ron Rivera is all in on Dwayne Haskins. And Dwayne Haskins played a little bit last year, and it was a small sample size. And I'm not completely sold on Dwayne Haskins, 
Ron Rivera, I believe, is not sold on Dwayne Haskins. But when you get a generational talent like Chase Young, and a lot of them have compared him and have even said that he's better than Indomitian Sue, then you don't pass that up. If he ends up turning out to be like a Khalil Mack or a, you know, Sam Darnold or um, um, that uh, defensive tackle from the Rams, I can't, oh my gosh, I can't remember his name. Sam Darnold is a quarterback for the Jets. I'm thinking of the of the other one. Um, his name escapes me at the moment. Can you believe it? They pay me to be here and talk about sports. Unreal. I don't even know the guy's name. But, <laughs> you know, when, when, when you have a... Um, you know, generational talent like Chase Young. I mean, Ron Rivera looked at it and made the decision that he couldn't pass it up. And only time will tell whether or not he made the right decision. It brings me to my formerly known as Los Angeles, formerly known as Oakland, now currently known as the Las Vegas Raiders. Mark Davis has proven once again that the apple does not fall far from the tree when it comes to these pathetic and asinine first-round picks. He goes with Henry Ruggs from Alabama over his teammate who was ranked higher in Jerry Judy. And ranked higher, he he, he also picked uh, Ruggs out of Alabama over someone like C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma State. This was a speed pick. Henry Ruggs had the fastest 40 time out of any receiver in the NFL Combine. And Mark Davis does exactly what his old man used to do, draft on speed. And if you don't think this was a speed pick, you're kidding yourself. Why do the Raiders keep doing this? They make these draft choices based on speed. I think right now the Raiders are in a position where they need to draft based on who can win them games, not based on who can win a 40-yard dash. You look at some, and, and look, this is not a once-off. This isn't something where, oh, you know what, the Raiders blew it this time, but they'll bounce back next, uh, next year. No, they have a consistent pattern of doing this, making stupid first-round picks like Jamarcus Russell. And you choose him number one over someone like Calvin Johnson. You choose Jamarcus Russell over someone like Adrian Peterson, who almost broke the single-season rushing record. You draft your Marcus Russell over that? And all the little antidotes, um, antidotes I would hear about Jamarcus Russell. Well, he can throw a, a football 60 yards on his knee in the end zone, past the goalpost. Okay. I, can he throw a 10-yard out? I mean, you know, can he, can he throw a 5-yard slant? And if he throws that 5-yard slant, can he not throw it 200 miles an hour? Turns out he couldn't, but they fell in love with his physicality. They fell in love with Jamarcus Russell, six foot five, 250 pounds. This guy's a beast and has a cannon for an arm. Can throw the ball 60 yards, but apparently can't throw a 10-yard out. And you look at another draft pick, Darius Hayward Bay. He gets chosen over players like Percy Harvin and Clay Matthews. I mean, this is, this is a pattern that the Raiders have. And they drafted Darius Hayward Bay based on speed. When he had no business being a top first round pick. Over players like Percy Harvin, who won a Super Bowl and was considered one of the best all around players in the league. 
and Clay Matthews, who ended up winning a Super Bowl with Green Bay and became known as one of the best linebackers in the National Football League. But you can even go further back than that. When the Raiders chose Todd Maridovich out of USC, and if they really wanted a quarterback that bad, they could have waited a round or two because you know who the next quarterback available was? It was Brett Favre. The Raiders had a chance to get Brett Favre, and they chose Todd Marinovich. Why? Well, because it's showy, because it's flashy, because it's sexy. Raiders always trying to make the sexy picks. You know, I don't know exactly where John Gruden's future is going to stand. I mean, how much success is he going to have in Oakland? Or excuse me, Las Vegas. I got to get used to saying Vegas now. How much success is he going to have in Vegas? We all knew that he wasn't going to draft a quarterback. Drafting a quarterback and molding a quarterback in his image is not a John Gruden thing. He tried to do it with Chris Sims. He did win his Super Bowl with Brad Johnson, but Brad Johnson was a veteran. He took someone like Rich Gannon and turned him into an MVP. He works with veterans. John Gruden does not have any time nor any patience to deal with a young quarterback coming into the NFL. So the notion that Derek Carr was going to get traded or that John Gruden was going to move past the Derek Carr era, I think was all just false. It was all just smoke and mirrors. And since we're talking about draft picks, I forgot to mention the, the, the stupidest draft pick of all. And I hate saying this because I loved him as a player and obviously one of the greatest kickers of all, kind, uh, all time, Sebastian Janikowski, was chosen number one by the Raiders over a player like Sean Alexander. Yes, that Sean Alexander from the Seattle Seahawks. 27 touchdowns in one season. 2005 MVP. Yes, that Sean Alexander. That Sean Alexander who led Alabama into Florida when he was in college, into the swamp, and beat a number one Florida team. That same Sean Alexander. But the Raiders looked at that and said, yeah, no, nah, we don't need that. We're good with Seabass. <laughs> I mean, this is what this is what the Raiders do. They've been known for that. I mean, they've been known for making stupid draft picks for quite some time. And again, I don't know where John Gruden falls in all of this. I don't know how long he's going to last in Oakland. He has a 10-year contract. And look, <laughs> if you're paying a coach $100 million, you can better understand why Khalil Mack acted the way that he did and why he was so upset that he wasn't given or shown what he thought was the proper respect in giving him the kind of uh, deal that Khalil Mack deserves. Instead, they give $100 million to a coach. Yeah, if I were Khalil Mack, I'd be pretty pissed off too. So, uh, you know, will this draft pick work out for the Raiders? I mean, I hope so, but I'm not hoping out much hope. And I'm talking to you as a fan. I'm talking to you as someone who has watched this team lose in every conceivable way imaginable. I'm telling you, I'm not holding out much hope that Henry Ruggs is going to be the answer. They need to work on that defense. That's it. I mean, that you know, that's what they need to work on. And yes, they they did get a couple pieces on defense, and we'll see how that all turns out. But I mean, man, you choose Henry Ruggs. You didn't even choose the Raiders. Didn't even choose the best wide receiver on the Alabama team. They had a chance to pick Jerry Judy, 
who was ranked higher than Henry Ruggs. That would have been a better fit. But they completely gloss over the best receiver on the team to go for someone who's the fastest player on the team. Typical Raiders, and I'm sick of it. All right, we're going to move on here. Look, I mean, we're going to move on to social annoyance. And what I just said about the Raiders could qualify as a segment for social annoyance. But uh, we have something else that we want to discuss. Plus, we want to get uh, to an email. So this is social annoyance. Roll the tape. So annoying. Okay, so this is social annoyance, and there's something that I want to get off my uh, off my chest. Uh, it's on a serious note, and I look. I, I know that what I'm what I'm about to say is probably going to cause a lot of people to get upset or angry with me, and I may even receive some emails on this. But I've been giving this a lot of thought, and I just I I, I want you to follow me here. You know, uh, citizens around the country are, are protesting in the streets. Uh, to have the country open up once again. Uh, obviously, the, the government and the whole country has been shut down due to the coronavirus pandemic. And they they feel that they're standing up for their rights. And, and they believe that certain rights have been taken away. I don't really think you can argue that. I mean, there was a woman in Idaho who was arrested because she was at a park that was closed to prevent the spread of COVID-19. You know, she wasn't the only one at the park, but she felt that she was singled out. You know, there was a paddleboarder in Malibu who was arrested when he ignored lifeguards request to get out of the ocean in a closed beach. I mean, how are you going to spread the virus in the middle of an ocean? Look, that's not the point. But the point is this. These same people who got on Colin Kaepernick's case and his protest a few years ago, which, by the way, we're on the same grounds as the current protest going on now. Citizens feel that a government agency is preventing them from going back to work and providing for their families. Livelihoods have been destroyed. And a lot of people who are out there protesting are urging and pleading with the government to open up. They're speaking and they're defending their rights. But as you see, um, you know, with the livelihoods being lost, it, it's it's interesting. They say that when all this is said and done and people start writing about the coronavirus, 40% of small businesses will no longer exist. Just think about that for a moment. 40% of the small businesses that you see around the country are going to be gone. Yeah, you bet your ass lives are being lost. And a lot of these protests, when you read about it and you see about it on TV, some of them are not abiding by the social distancing guidelines and have been called out by various news outlets. And they're not exactly saying they can't protest. They're just kind of saying, you know what, you shouldn't protest so close to each other. Dictating the terms of the protest. That's not the proper way to protest, these news outlets are saying. Wow. That sounds very familiar, doesn't it? You know, they're being told that the protests are 
about going to the movies and you see this i mean you see you saw this with don lemon on cnn and other various news outlets they're upset at the protesters because oh you know people's lives are in danger people's lives are lost and all they're worried about is going to the movies or going to the beach or maybe even doing a spa day they really think that that's what this protest is about those people in the media are completely misconstruing what these protests are about Now, where exactly have I heard that before? You see, when Kaepernick was protesting the flag because of the rise in deaths in the African-American community while in police custody, it had absolutely nothing to do with the military. It was interesting to see how, how that changed gears so quickly. I mean, there was news people out there getting paid a boatload of money to say that Kaepernick was disrespecting the military. They accused him of being anti-American while he was doing the most American thing you can do, letting your voice be heard. How disrespectful were the the NFL players? Really? This is a league that devotes an entire month honoring the veterans of this country. They go out and do another very American thing and capitalize on that by selling camel gear with NFL logos on it. I mean, in fact, the NFL returned over $720,000 that was paid to them by the Department of Defense in what was referred to as paid patriotism. And they paid the league this amount to perform events before and during games. And if you've seen these events, they're, they, they, they include uh, full displays of the American flag. They also include those emotional reunions that you see uh, with families. If one member of the family was deployed and, and they come back in this country and they have that emotional, tear-filled reunion. It went to things like that. But the league only turned over the money back over to the, to, to the Department of Defense after a scathing report from the late great Senator, Senator John McCain, and his colleague from Arizona, Jeff Flake. They wrote a letter and a report on how the NFL took millions and millions of dollars to honor the military. So let's not act like the NFL is completely innocent in disrespecting the military. And you know what, as a Christian, I can tell you that burning the Bible is very disrespectful. I think you're only hurting no one but yourself. But is that going to stop me from living my life as a follower of Christ? Of course not. Why would burning or disrespecting the Bible in any way cause me to lose all reason and shout incoherently about Bible burning or anything else? It wouldn't. I'd still be able to function just as well without it. I know that's a hot take. But we can function just as well if you burned my Bible. You know, I mean, I find this a lot in, you know, within religious circles in that we are more concerned with imagery and how we look defending our rights or defending our religion or whatever it is. We are more concerned with the outward appearance than we are actually living out what we say. We're more concerned about looking American rather than acting American. And I think you saw that displayed during the protest. Kaepernick is being an American. How? 
by acting American? I mean, he's he's doing the most again, he's doing the most American thing you can do, letting your voice be heard. I mean, how you can't get any more American than that. And let's not decide on what cause is better. And this is what really drives me nuts. And this is part of my social annoyance. I mean, to me, I mean, you want to talk about disrespectful? Let's not decide what case is more important. And I'll be told, and I'm sure that I'll get emails about how the most recent protests in this country today are far more important because it affects millions of more people around the world. And yes, that's true. But that doesn't make it any less important just because the body count's higher. Both sides, when you look at it, both sides are fighting the same principle. That is, they're fighting and they feel that a government agency is acting unreasonably in handling civil matters. It's still an important issue. And I think maybe one day when all of this is said and done... And people are writing the history books and they look into how we lived and how we treated each other. And even though we may not admit it or we may not say it now, I think future generations are going to look back at this time and understand that we were all fighting for the same things. Now, how could people be so divisive, but yet still try to fight for one common goal? You know, we're a lot similar, and I think we get along a lot better than what the media likes to admit. And when you break down the Colin Kaepernick protests and you break down the protests that are going around in this country when it relates to people wanting to get back to work, you guys are both fighting the same thing. It may not look like it. And politics and numbers, they can, they can cloud your vision. Colin Kaepernick and what he was doing was trying to bring attention to what was going on in the police force. It had absolutely nothing to do with disrespecting the military. And for the people protesting about wanting to go back to work, we know this has nothing to do with going to the beach. It has nothing to do with going to a day spa. It sure as hell has nothing to do with going to a park. We have to realize that we're fighting for the same things. And we don't realize that yet. But hopefully future generations will. So that's my social annoyance for today. I want to end out. There's a couple of things I want to uh, I want to end out on. Number one, just to kind of end out on a positive note. The demographics for this show... And and you know what, by the way, just lastly uh, on, on the social annoyance, if you want to have a discussion about this, let's make it happen. And when I mean a discussion, I mean an actual conversation. If you go to the Anchor app and you download the app, we can record together and we can record our thoughts together and actually have a conversation about what we talked about here. So if you're into doing that, you want to go ahead and email me. Again, that email address is thomasacostashow at gmail.com. We'll work out the details as far as getting that going. But if you want to engage in this conversation, I am more than willing to have it. I'm, I'm more than willing to have it, record it, post it up online, just so that we can, we can have a conversation about this. Because I don't think it's a conversation that people want to have. 
because I think the other side may be revealed as uh, maybe not handling the situation uh, all that well, or or maybe it, it's just it gets annoying when different perspectives are not being brought about, and different perspectives are being either canceled or um, you know they're being uh, kicked off of social media or whatever it is. This is an open forum. So if you want to discuss about anything that we've talked about, such as this, go ahead and email the show, download the Anchor app, and then we'll definitely uh, make that happen. But to close out the show, again, uh, what, what I have here is uh, uh, some statistics, some uh, metrics when it comes to our show. Our show, we've been doing our show since the, uh, since the end of January. As a matter of fact, our first show was the death of Kobe Bryant. And I just recently listened to that podcast. And for someone who's a beginner like myself, and for someone who's trying to get this thing off the ground, I'm actually, I mean, not to pat myself on the back, but I'm actually pretty impressed on how this show has evolved, how you guys and the listeners have been loyal to me uh, since day one. And it's crazy to think when I was when I was looking at the demographics, obviously the majority of the listenership for this show is in the United States. But I have consistent listeners now, just looking up uh, the different metrics through the Anchor app and everything else. Uh, I have listeners in Ireland. Listeners, as plural, more than one. I have listeners in Ireland, Puerto Rico, and Thailand. So this show, I mean, we talked about Michael Jordan being a global figure. Technically speaking, your boy here is a global figure. If you're getting people listening in Ireland, which, by the way, shout out to Ireland. I love your whiskey. Conor McGregor, we may have to devote a whole podcast to that character. Uh, but I definitely respect what he's done in the octagon. Um, I would love to go there one day. I, 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 I've heard nothing but good things about it. I plan to go there one day and just get so completely pissed drunk. Um, I, 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 I want to drink myself into oblivion. I feel like that's the only way I can initiate uh, myself into the, uh, into the Irish culture. So, uh, we'll see exactly if that ever if that ever pans out. But I, I I really do appreciate all the support from all of you, um, from friends and family and and things that I've posted on Facebook, trying to get my voice out there. Again, my voice is very annoying. I I, I understand that, but doing what you love and loving what you do, I feel, has been the motto for me anyway in the year 2020. And so. Uh, even though 2020 can go straight to hell, I think there can be a lot of things when we sit down and we, we, we review how this year has gone by and what has actually gone down. Hopefully personally for you, it's filled with a lot of accomplishments. It's filled with a lot of barriers that were broken and hopefully you can get encouraged by the future and what the future holds for you. We're definitely excited about what the future holds for this show, judging by uh, the people that are listening and uh, just a lot of the feedback we're getting uh, from people around the world. So thank you so much uh, for your support. I just wanted to throw that out there. Definitely good news on that front. Um, What we're going to do next to end the show is we're going to go to an email. And again, the email email is thomasacostashow at gmail.com. This comes from a trusty pal, Sean in Irvine. He says, Thomas, this past week has sucked. Considering I don't have any live TV at the moment and married with three daughters, nothing has changed. 
I find myself entering into a lot of free contests on FanDuel and DraftKings. I've been slowly nickel and diming with the credits they are giving until sports comes back. This past week, I've been listening to replays of the Anaheim Angels title run in 2002. You forget how clutch hitting they had back then. I'll always remember how close I was going to game one of that World Series. Hmm. I'll have to, I'll have to listen to that story. Uh, the one thing I'm disappointed in is that the Dodgers have not replayed any games on the radio with Vin Scully. So that's Sean and Irvine. You know what? I can attest to you. I mean, look, I, I lived off of live TV. I was a kid of the 80s. Live TV was everybody's thing. You know, we would binge watch TV for hours growing up. Obviously, not much has changed except the technology, but, you know, live TV, it, I was all about live TV growing up. So the fact that you don't have any live TV and you're married with three daughters, wow. Uh, I'll be praying for you. Uh, you know, I, it's so funny. You, you mentioned entering uh, contests with, with, with FanDuel and DraftKings. You know, I used to do that. I really don't do that as much, obviously, now, but even for uh, the last season or so, I uh, haven't really... Um, I haven't really entered into any sort of contest. Uh, it's interesting how you, you mentioned the uh, the replays of old games, in particular the Anaheim Angels game uh, in 2002. And there was a lot of clutch hitting. You talk about Scott Spezio and Troy Gloss and, and you know, players like that. Um, that was a fun team to watch. I was not a big Angels fan, but I respected a lot of the players on that team, like Darren Erstad and Tim Salmon. Garrett Anderson, uh, Troy Percival was their closer. Uh, there were a lot of, you know, Adam Kennedy was the second baseman. Uh, just a very exciting and very fun team to watch in 2002. Um, it was it was kind of cool to see them beat the headed or the the uh, the dreaded, hateful uh, San Francisco Giants. Uh, you know, being a big Dodger fan, hearing Vin Scully's voice. When just the uh, the voice of reason, the voice of calm, the voice of America, and, you know, encouraging us to stay home during the coronavirus. I had not heard his voice in some time. And I'm not going to try to throw out any bad juju. I just believe in being honest. 2020 has been pretty effed up. I'm just letting you know right now, 2020, you touch Vince Scully, you're dead. You understand me, 2020? You lay a hand on Vince Scully... 2020, you are dead. I'm just making that clear. Okay. Now that I've got that off my chest. Hopefully you guys have a good, hopefully you guys have a great weekend. Again, thank you guys for listening to the show. Thank you for your support. I love you all. We'll talk to you next week. We'll continue to break down the last dance. We'll uh, see exactly what else is going on in the world of sports. I know that the NFL schedule came out uh, today. We'll probably talk about that here next week. There is also an NFL story considering Earl Thomas of the Baltimore Ravens that broke, um, uh, I would say, probably about a few hours ago. Uh, of course, by the time you listen to this, it, it, the, you know, it, it will already be a couple of days since it's passed. But we will, uh, we will talk about uh, that as well. Thank you for your support. Again, I love you guys. This is the Thomas Acosta Show. We'll talk to you later. See you.